welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. These big meetings are like spectacles, really. What I have faith in is social movements. What I have faith in is activists on the ground, putting their bodies on the line to stop fracking, to stop coal mining, to stop oil drilling. What I have faith in is um, Indigenous peoples um, defending their lands and territories. And that can only grow. This episode of Women on the Line will focus on the recent Paris Climate Talks, also known as COP21. COP21 stands for the 21st meeting of the Council of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which was adopted during the Rio de Janeiro Earth Summit in 1992. We speak with two women who went to Paris for COP21, Maori activist Sina Brown-Davis and Ursula Rakova from the Carteret Islands, an atoll northeast of Bougainville in the Pacific, which is in the process of relocating its population due to the encroaching of the sea. Women on the line would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present as the traditional owners of the land where this show was produced. The Paris Climate Talks have now concluded, and despite global media hailing the Paris Agreement as a success, serious questions remain as to how effective the agreement will be in curtailing climate change. While the agreement contains a target of keeping the rise in global temperature below 1.5 degrees Celsius and discusses the financial responsibilities of rich and poor countries in dealing with the effects of climate change, it is non-binding. Additionally, as part of the negotiation process, human rights provisions pertaining specifically to the rights of Indigenous peoples and to gender were removed from the working body of the agreement and placed in the preamble. Women on the Line spoke with Sina Brown-Davis about travelling to Paris to coincide with COP21. Kia ora, ko Sina Brown-Davis, saho, no ngāti whātua ki um, Hello everybody, my name is Sina Brown-Davis. I'm from the Ngāti Whātua tribe and I'm talking from Tamaki Makoto in Auckland. I'd like to pay my respects to um, the elders and to the sovereignty of the people of the Kulin Nations and um, send fond regards to... Um, all of the dear people that I um, worked with and got to love during my time that my family lived there in Melbourne. And thank you for the time um, you've given today to talk about my recollections of um, COP21 from the perspective of an Indigenous woman. Thanks so much for, for joining us today, Sina, and at short notice. Um, you recently went to Paris to coincide with COP21. What were you expecting to do there when, when you arrived? Well, I was at COP15 in Copenhagen six years ago. Um, I attended the um, conference as part of a 15-strong delegation of Indigenous um, Pacific people. Uh, we had a strategy inside-outside strategy, so half of our team with the technical and lobbying schools were on the inside, um, and I was um, part of the outside team doing um, communications and building um, links with our social movements. Uh, my expectations of going to the meeting were actually very low. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefit um, for me for attending such a meeting is the, the gathering of Indigenous peoples from throughout the world and um, meeting people in Europe who are actually um, fighting fossil fuels on the front lines and stopping coal stations and um, doing direct action to um, help avert the climate crisis that we're facing in the Pacific. Mm. So really uh, an Indigenous activist convergence. 
Um, um, yeah, it was actually quite brilliant on the, the 29th of November because of the state of emergency in um, France. I took um, a couple of Pacific activists over and we um, led the climate march in London, which is about fifty to 60,000 people strong. Mm. There was a tussle between um, the frontline people who are affecting by the impacts of climate change and the cashed-up NGOs. So there was like a tussle between Navars and they're like polar bears and giraffes, <sighs> and the indigenous peoples and the peoples of colours. We made a really strong stance saying, no, it's our communities that are facing the brunt. It's our communities that are fighting first. It's our communities that are dying first. We should front the march. So um, that was like quite a powerful statement because even the climate movement, like inside the meeting, like anything, there needs to be some a lot of decolonisation work mm. happening think you can't just like look at climate and isolation you've got to look at it in terms of like um colonialism sexism capitalism um gender and all those other issues not just um climate and an issue isolated on its own Sina discussed the conditions for protest in paris during the climate talks paris is like under a state of emergency so technically it's illegal for more than two people to assemble to protest so they brought the state of emergency laws after the terrorist attack, but the people that have suffered the impacts have been the local climate activists. Um, I turned down my accreditation in an act of solidarity because while I was in Paris, 147 local climate activists in Paris are under house arrest. As part of the, um, the, the crackdown and protests following yes. the attacks? Yeah. So the meeting sort of occurred in like this little bubble you know, and the only the benefit of having meetings like that in a big city is like you usually have a really strong convergence of civil society on the outside, like pushing the issues that are important to the people or people who are marginalised inside the meeting. Um, that didn't happen to the same extent that it usually does. What What were some of the tactics that um you used to contend with the the ban on public protest that was in place? Um, it's like um, the Indigenous Environmental Network, and that's um, our brothers and sisters from First Nations. They had a beautiful event on the canals of um, Paris that was done under the guise of like ceremony and culture. And it was a flotilla of Indigenous people from all around the world um, showing the importance about how water is sacred, um, how Indigenous peoples are on the front line. So we continued um, in that vein. On the 10th of December, we had an action outside the Notre Dame cathedral of about 100 people and a very um, um ceremony with the pacific and with the sami people who are in the arctic circle the, the furthest away from the pacific but the sami say that when the ice melts there the sea level rises in the pacific so we're sort of bound by the the consequences of climate change and also our love for mother earth I suppose this sort of thing really brings to the forefront how indigenous peoples are really at at the pointy end of climate change, so often people who are really greatly affected and first? Um, we are we are suffering the frontline impacts, but also people have to remember too that it's our lands that are being mined, it's our lands that they're looking for oil, that they're, they're looking for coal, that they're fracking. So there's, um, there's, there's that line of it as well. Like we are, we've contributed the absolute minimal least, the least to climate change, but we are bearing the brunt of the West and 200 years of industrialization. I mean, that hasn't stopped. Um, fracking, drilling, mining are still like present dangers and threats to indigenous peoples all over the world.
Mm. And that's very clear in Australia and in New Zealand where um, the coastline here has been opened up to deep sea oil drilling. Yeah, I think I read something actually about a new um, new oil drilling being approved just after the Paris talks finished. Is that right? Um, yes, in New yeah. Zealand. I mean, the Australia, New Zealand, um, in real terms, don't really don't really give a rat's ass about the impending um, loss of land and genocide in the Pacific. As far as New Zealand and Australia are concerned, it's business as usual. We will keep on mining. We will keep on drilling. We will keep extracting oil and burning carbon like there's no tomorrow. So the pledges and promises that they made in Paris in terms of what they're actually really doing on the ground here to show them up to be a bunch of hypocrites, really. Yeah. It's very disappointing. And I feel like that kind of outcome from the Paris climate talks really emphasises just how important the relationship is for First Nations sovereignty and, and meaningful climate justice. Yes, there's a direct direct link. I mean, Indigenous people were mentioned in the preamble, but we were left out of the the main draft of the text, Um, particularly paying my respects to Aboriginal Australia. These are um, people that have lived in harmony with nature for 60 to 80,000 years. They hold the secret of the key of sustaining life on this planet. But people are like too racist and too myopic to actually see that as a gift that Indigenous peoples give. We are the traditional guardians of... um, of Mother Earth. It's our um, incumbent of us to like care for her for the generations to come. And I mean, that runs counter to like sort of corporate mindset that prevails in the world at the moment. I mean, there's no mention of fossil fuels in the agreement, no mention of coal, no mention of oil. So if they're really serious about curbing climate change, they would have tried to um, make that stance in Paris. But it um, it just seems to me like it's business as usual. Yeah, business as usual. We'll keep drilling it and we'll keep burning it till the planet burns. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We're bringing you Sina Brown-Davis, discussing her experience of the recent COP21 climate talks in Paris. The huge positive was uh, being around other Indigenous peoples from all over the world. Um, We're very different and very diverse but in, um, in common, we um, hold our love for Mother Earth and our tradition and our culture. And there's a power power to that. And um, I went to Paris quite pessimistic and I've come back home um, politically recharged and optimistic that if um, we work together, we engage with local Indigenous peoples, we support their struggles, we can find a way forward, not only for ourselves, but for humanity. I asked Zena what she would have liked to see come out of COP21 a binding agreement, um, coal and oil that would have um, put the brakes on the fossil fuel industry, number two, and um, number three, that the the global north would have acknowledged its historical debt to the global south and that um, climate financing would be self-determined by the people that are suffering the impacts, that Indigenous rights would be front, front and centre because without the acknowledgement and respect of Indigenous rights, it's just business as usual for corporations to go in and rip up lands and, and take resources away. I think the world, a lot of people, a lot of activists here realise that we're on a tipping point and they're looking towards Indigenous people um, to take that lead um, to find a future uh, out of the climate crisis. And I think together that we can do it, you know. We have to have that faith, faith in our generations to come 
we have to have um, faith that we can actually save and heal our planet. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> While the discussions at COP21 were taking place, the effects of climate change were already well underway. The Carteret Islands are a small atoll in the Pacific, 85 kilometres northeast of Bougainville, an autonomous region of Papua New Guinea. The inundation of salt water from the sea is slowly making it impossible to grow food on the islands, and since 2006, Carteret Islanders have been organising to relocate their population to mainland Bougainville. Women on the Line spoke with Ursula Rakova, who recently attended COP21. Ursula is the director of Tuleli Piesa, an association set up by Carteret Islanders to facilitate the relocation of 1,700 people. In the Halia language, Tuleli Piesa translates to mean sailing the waves on our own. My name is Ursula Rakova, and I am from Carteret in Papua New Guinea. I work for a small organization called Tuleli Piesa which is uh, responsible for relocation of 1,700 people from the island to mainland Bougainville, also in Papua New Guinea. We are relocating uh, 1,700 people to mainland Bougainville uh, because the islands have been inundated by salt water. Um, we have lost um, a lot of our land due to shoreline erosion, and also uh, we have lost our garden food crops. We are no longer able to grow uh, food on the island because the land is not arable enough for us to grow the food. And so uh, people are having uh, uh, less and less food to eat every day. Um, they need proper diet to um, continue to sustain themselves. The school are also, schools are also closing down because children are not having enough food to keep them going for the day. And so this has caused us to basically look for land on mainland Bougainville to relocate our people. Mm -hmm. um, my my reason for um, going to Paris COP21 was specifically to uh, to be the vo voice of my people on the island to bring forth the issue of climate change and its impact on on the island and um, how the um, the world um, leaders can um, can support community-initiated uh, solutions like we have in, in Timpuch on Bougainville. And um, I was there as a voice for the people. I was there as a voice also for women uh, who are basically the most vulnerable um, community and communities around the world, not just for countries, but around the world as well. Do you feel that the the voices of women were fairly represented at COP21. The um the COP21 um um leaders talk uh, was good, but I, I personally I feel it should have been uh, it should have gone further than that. Um, I would have loved to to see the the leaders uh, sign an agreement that, that basically um, specified 1.5 degrees, which was agreed upon. But human rights um, does not, uh, in Article 2.2, does not include indigenous 
and uh, gender uh, rights. And, and these are issues that basically should be in the main context of the um, of the agreement and, and shouldn't just be in the preamble. Why? Because women and children are the most infe- affected uh, communities of uh, due to climate change. And also the indigenous people uh, who, who are being um, um, relocated outside of their own homes and, and are being made to, um, to lose their identity because um, they, are no, they no longer can live on the land they are supposed to be living in. They really love to see women basically taking, being given more, more opportunities to also be on the negotiation tables. Um, I, I did see um, women, um, women members or women ministers um, in the in COP21, but um, I, I would like to see more than just you know women leaders. Civil society leaders should also be. Um, given a chance to to be um, to be heard in in, in the uh, in the next um, uh, COP meetings. Mm. For me, I I would have um, really liked to see this um, included, but I also know that um, some things had to be traded in for uh, 1.5. So um, I know that we can't get everything in, in the first agreement, but um, I would like to, to see um, indigenous rights and gender continue to be talked about and discussed in, in, in future COPs. Were you happy with the outcome of, of COP21? What, what would you have liked to see from the agreement? I, I was happy with it, but like I was saying, um, uh, human rights um, should include... Um, indigenous rights and gender because these things um, should not be um, looked at as a separate separate context to human rights, indigenous rights and gender. The reason is that uh, human rights, climate change violates the rights of indigenous peoples and and the most vulnerable uh, communities of the world because it imprints on their rights to... um, live where they want to live and uh, live a life that they want to live. Uh, climate change violates those rights. Ursula explained how Carteret Islanders are pushing for change. Climate change is here now and we can't continue to complain about it. We will need to basically work together to find solutions. And and for us on the Carteret, we, we just did not sit down. We, we knew that... The impacts were really impacting on our lives. We, we, we got up, we got organized, and we formed an association. And now this association is basically speaking up for us. The reason is that we want the, the leaders of the world, especially the, the, the countries that are basically polluting the world and um, causing greenhouse, uh, greenhouse gas emissions to take place, we want them to know that we are suffering, not because we have caused it. They have caused it, and they've got to uh, be accountable. They've got to be taken to task about the impacts of what is happening to us. I asked Ursula about the progress of relocation efforts. We, we started organising ourselves in 2006. In 2009, we moved the first five families. Uh, three families returned home, and two remained. 
And in 2011, we moved another five families. Um, the other uh, two returned home and, and three and um, three stayed back on the um, on our new relocation site. So now we have eight families on site. Uh, we are building two more houses for the two remaining families. And in Pimputs, in our new relocation site, we will have 10 families. So we, we have two more families waiting to come on board. Um, we um, we basically um, emphasizing um, mitigation and adaptation in our new site. And so far we have planted um, 23,000 plus uh, tree species, which are basically hardwood, softwood, uh, Trees, nut trees, and, and palms. It's 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 a mini uh, food forest, and, and we want to continue to plant until we we can reach uh, one million trees. Until we have planted one million trees, mm. it's our way of uh, like later on we want to um, get wood and timber and firewood from from our own uh, plant, our own um, mini food forest, and also we basically helping the. Tulumetisa is helping the the relocated families to plant cash crops as well as food gardens, uh, food crops. So we we are growing a lot of food crops that we no longer we were not able to grow on on patches, and um, we are sending some of this food back to help our relatives on the island. Mm. So it's not just a matter of, um, you know, re- simply relocating people to the mainland in Bougainville. You know, you're also building houses and planting the, the the trees and plants to provide a livelihood for when people get there and to send food back to the Katarits as well in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, the adaptation program basically leads into uh, families being able to sustain their lives. So... Um, sustainable livelihood program is pro- progressing very well, except for the um, in- infrastructure, uh, meaning that we, as much as we want to continue moving families, the, the challenge is that um, um, no um, no donors are willing to fund the um, building of houses for the families. Um, the argument is that um, the government of Papua New Guinea should be responsible for building homes for the relocated families, and this is not happening. This is not happening because, um, you know, donors only want to fund this. Mm. And if listeners want to support Tulele Pisa, what what can listeners do if they want to, uh, you know, make a donation to support uh, building building houses or? Businesses want to support Tulele Pesa in the construction of houses. We we have a website that gives the account number for um, uh, Friends of the Earth in Australia account. And um, support and donations can be given to um, to this account or otherwise um, um, by contacting us on, on the email and uh, on the email that is provided and the phone number that is provided so that we, we can uh, basically give them our home account number. I asked Ursula how she felt about the outcome of COP21 and if she felt enough action was being taken. I um, I, I think uh, we have talked enough. Um, we cannot 
continue to keep talking and nothing gets done. Um, they are communities that have already um, found soli- local solutions to their problems. They should be supported. Um, they shouldn't continue to go and, and look for money. Um, there should be a fund that, that should be um, made available for local communities who are able to um, to run their own affairs um, and report back to the um, to the fund according to the criteria. So I think enough of there's enough of talking. We need to walk the talk and basically get things moving. We we cannot to cannot continue to talk while people are suffering. Climate change on the cartridge has, has already happened. It happened more than 30, 40 years ago. Uh, right now, as I'm speaking to you, people are actually going without food. So to me, I can't continue to talk and raise awareness and, and do advocacy on how my people are suffering. They are already suffering. However, we have found a, a local solution to dealing with this issue. All we need is support from the wider community, the wider international community to support us, to make sure that the, the solution we have found is being implemented and that we, we are, make, may, are making sure that people are moving on to, to the locations that the Catholic Church has lifted to us. We have acquired four, four uh, relocation sites from the Catholic Church. Um, all we need is to build homes so that we are moving people and they come in and, and sustain, grow their own food, grow their own cash crops to sustain themselves. Ursula emphasised the importance of community autonomy in responses to climate change. If people, if communities have found local solutions, they should be supported and, and that, you know, I know that they are bilateral agreements, but bilateral agreements uh, basically do go down to the basics of the the problem. Um, a lot of the funds being given to countries go and get stuck in the um, uh, bureaucratic red tape, and they do not flow down to the communities who are suffering the impacts of climate change. So all these things need to be relooked. Governments responsible should really be, ta- you know, taking these high-level things back to the communities and and to support communities in the work that they are doing. If listeners want to donate to Telele Paisa to assist Carteret Islanders in their relocation efforts, they can visit the Women on the Line webpage at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line for more details. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelinen at hotmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.